Welcome to part eight of our walk through the book of Jonah. If you're joining us for the first time, I heartily recommend you go through the first seven of these messages before this one because uh, you may not understand where we're at with this. But we've followed Jonah through the depths, right down, down, down to the bottom of his disobedience to God. And out of that and a, and a revelation he had in the belly of the fish, we've seen him rise to the dizzy heights of partial obedience. Um, he's actually done some things that have had an incredible impact on other people's lives, some good, some bad. But God is working in the background, even though Jonah has made a, a right royal stuff up of just about everything he's done. Uh, the sailors on the boat were put in terrible danger, but in the end, they actually acknowledged Yahweh as their God. Uh, the Ninevites were given the wrong message uh, by Jonah because he was still mad at them. And yet, as we're about to discover, the Ninevites actually do the right thing as well. So let's look at the message that Jonah delivers. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And what was the Ninevites' response? Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Who do they believe? God. Who does Jonah not mention? God. Their hearts are so attuned to what's going on here that despite what Jonah has said or not said, they've filled in the gaps all by themselves. They are so ready. And I think we get confused when we think about ancient civilizations and, and we confuse barbaric actions. Because uh, remember, the, these Assyrians are the guys who skin people alive and impale them on poles. So we know that you know, they do that sort of thing for the fun of it. Um, but we, we tend to associate that with a lack of spiritual belief or understanding. But we have to understand Jonah didn't hate the Ninevites because they were hateful, barbaric, godless people. Uh, don't forget, not everybody in Nineveh was in the army. He hated them because they were people who followed hateful and barbaric gods. And so the Ninevites believe God. A fast is proclaimed, and all of them, the greatest to the least, from the king to the lowliest beggar, the whole city, they put on sackcloth. And so what's happening here? This is an expression of belief. They believe God, and then they did these actions. They have an active response. Some of you can see probably where I'm going here. It may seem sort of simple, but I think it's actually very profound because as Westerners, especially in English, when we hear the word belief or faith, we think of a mental process. Something happens in your brain. I believe the sky is blue. We don't actually do anything about the sky being blue. We just mentally assent to the fact that everybody believes the sky is blue. I believe the Beatles are the best band ever. Now, there's a belief of mine that uh, not everybody necessarily shares, uh, but it's a mental thing. People actually aren't going to go to war over whether the Beatles are the best band ever. Um, and so we say, yep, I, I believe that. Done. Okay, moving on. Uh, and we take that mental idea of, the, of belief and we impose that on belief in the Bible. The story the Scriptures are trying to tell us actually redefines the whole concept of belief for us. And so the Ninevites are actually confronted with this judgment and they believe God. But their response isn't just like, oh, 
Oh, yes. Well, perhaps I've been doing barbaric things. I should no longer sort of think that way. Good to know. Thanks very much. And off they go. Let's go and impale some more people while I've got some time on my hands. They, they don't do that. What they do is they think, good grief. Something has to change in my life. I've been doing life the wrong way. What must I do to make this right? And in verse 6, it says, When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, and he dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree through the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. And so even the violent cows in Nineveh had to put on clothes and ashes. And so we see here that in the Bible, belief has two sides. There's a mental ascent, but on the other side of the coin, there is this active response in your life that shows you believe. Even the king stepped down from his thrones and sat in the dirt in rags. And I think this is important for us to hear as Western Christians because we've created this culture in which we ask, do you believe in Jesus? And people respond, sure, totally. I believe he died and rose for me. Tick. I said that magic prayer. Tick. Did it a few times, actually. Tick, tick, tick. But this creates a situation where you have that box you've ticked, but there's not a shred of evidence in your life that you care about Jesus or what it means to follow him. There's all kinds of people who believe that they're Christians because they've given mental assent to the idea of following Jesus. Or they have some connection culturally to church or the Christian faith, but there's not a shred of evidence in their life. And so the scriptures come alongside us, and sometimes gently, and sometimes not so gently, say, if there's not a shred of evidence that you, anything is going on inside of you, there's not a, then you don't believe. Some of us go, ouch. Painful. But I think it's actually pretty helpful for us. Nobody's actually doing you any favours by letting you think you're a Christian if you're actually not. Let's be honest here. And so if you're not, that's great. Welcome to C3 Norwood. We're excited that you're here. But we don't want to string you along under false pretenses. And there's a word that's used in, in Jonah here. It's a Hebrew word. So I'm about to teach you a bit of Hebrew. And so you'll have to excuse my pronunciation. It's a very common word used in the books of the prophets. And it's, it's this word, it's, called, it's pronounced shuv. And I know it looks like shove, uh, but it's actually pronounced shuv. And, and just, I don't know about what your image of shuv was, but my first uh, image was of shoes. And it's interesting that shuv literally is the image of walking. You're going a certain way, a judgment is rendered that you're going the wrong way, and so shooving is doing just that. You walk, and then you shove, and you turn in the opposite direction. And so it's an image from walking in day-to-day -day life. And so the prophets picked up this word, and they turned it into a powerful metaphor for how we relate to God. They developed this metaphor that we're all going on a journey, because life is like a journey. And so we go down certain roads in life, and the prophet's job is to speak God's word to his people and to say, <coughs> excuse me, that's the wrong way. That doesn't lead to life. That way leads to ruin for yourself and others, and you need to repent or turn, or in Hebrew, shuv. And the right response to that judgment rendered 
And your decision is like, oh, okay, yep, there we go. Shuv, and you turn. And in this chapter of Jonah, despite the crappy delivery of the message, that's what God's calling the Ninevites to do. So back in verse 5 we read, they believe God. Tick. How do you know they believe God? Because they don't just believe something about God, but they actually change and go in a different direction. Now, if Jonah was just a three-chapter story, it becomes a different story altogether. If the story ended right here, happy ending, right? Jonah has done his thing, he's repented, and the Ninevites have repented, and everybody's happy. Except, is there any guarantee that this king is going to stay off his throne for very long? In fact, there's no guarantee. If you read the Bible, there is no record that the Ninevites joined the nation of Israel. So I think it's a given that their repentance didn't last very long. And you might think, well, what's the point? How come God's victory is only temporary in this case? Now, if you're thinking that, I want to remind you of one thing before you go any further. What sort of literature is the book of Jonah? What's its purpose? Don't forget it's got satire and metaphors which tell a story which points directly back to us. I mean, what's your personal record for staying off the throne? You know what I'm saying. There's a poet by the name of Thomas Carlyle who wrote a book of poems about Jonah around about the 1970s. And one of his poems is about this very verse. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, Think twice before you pardon. Men repent, even in ashes. But repent again of their repentance. Take the wiser bias of my advice and confine your charity to such good neighbours as your humble servant. See, we're so screwed up, we can't even shoe right. We can't even repent right. Because we, when we repent, we get off the throne. Have you ever done that? You've had a revelation about something that you're doing that God needs to work with in your life. And so you change something. And in week one, guess what? You're doing good. In week two, you get another revelation that God is a God of love and he's a God of grace. And, uh, and we separate that a bit from his judgment in week two. And we end up perhaps just hopping on the throne for you know, 30 minutes every day. And so by week three, we're back on full time. We've let God be cast aside and we've become rulers of our own life again. I know some of you are thinking three weeks, one week if you're lucky. And so we've got to ask ourselves, is there any good news for people like you and me who can't even repent properly? And absolutely, there is good news. And the good news is wrapped up at the heart of this. Because there is a king who takes off his robes. And he humbles himself and becomes human. He takes on the status of a slave and of a servant, and he wallows in the ashes of human existence. And then he gets on a cross, absorbs his own judgment into himself on our behalf. The fact is that you and I are going to be crawling on and off our thrones probably for the rest of our lives. And Lord willing, we're going to make progress. Any progress that we do make is purely by his grace. It's changing us, it's changing our hearts. And as we continue to humble ourselves, we begin to find all of a sudden we resonate more and more with that judgment. And then we begin to see the way that we used to think, the way we used to treat people, the way we used to spend all our money on ourselves, and the way we slowly begin to realise that his judgment is actually trying to give us life.